morning, everyone, wherever you may be listening to this from, to another episode of the Strength Connection podcast. Today, I am joined by someone that I'm very inspired by. And the reason why I say this is that he is a doctor. He is the muscle doctor, Mr. Jordan Shallow. How are you? How's things? Well, I mean, I can only disappoint now, so we probably just call this off. <laughs> I should bring you on the road with me. That was a hell of an intro. Uh, yeah, things are great, man. Been great complain. Just, uh, just riding out this crazy time here in Australia, but uh, all in all, things are well. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. So you've obviously got a lot of things going on at the moment with everything that's going on in the world. Most importantly today, what I want to talk about is your strategies and how you've been able to design them to fit the way you work. Uh, and more importantly, let's start talking about the RX program. It's yeah, sick. Um, I'm really excited to see it. I'm, I'm actually really excited because it's good that with everything that you've been putting out on Instagram, social media and everything like that, the program really defines who you are, um, which I'm really excited to know a bit more about. Uh, and so are the listeners as well. So if you wouldn't mind just giving us a bit of a rundown. Yeah, so it was kind of the reason we actually started. So me and my business partner, Jordan Genta, so Olympic uh, weightlifter in America, we started this. We were just kind of buddies in, in grad school, and we started this company called Prescript. Basically, we kind of out of school kind of immediately started seeing patients in the more like in the athletic space, strength athletes, uh, barbell athletes, uh, and then worked our way up to professional ranks. Living in California, got a lot of baseball, basketball, hockey um, and then kind of Olympic athletes as well. So we kind of saw a hole in the fitness industry around actually creating preparation strategies for athletes. Like a lot of times clinicians would talk about like bridging the gap between like rehab and performance, but they just went from like a weak TheraBand to a stronger TheraBand. And, you know, me being a powerlifter and then having a background in strength conditioning realized that wasn't really a way to scale an intervention for an athlete. So we really started the company with this particular product in mind. Um, and through kind of years of iterations and, you know, different arms of the business developing quicker than others, we finally had the bandwidth to record the content necessary and have the app interface necessary to make this a really easy, um, a really easy application for athletes to start actually, um, recovering and we look at recovery from a very through a very different lens when looking or when dealing with athletes it's very much so that you know preparing an athlete to get into better positions and inoculating them to particular uh, stimulus and positions is going to help uh, direct the stress where we actually want it and that's going to in turn mitigate a lot of the need for common recovery strategies there guns norma tech boots ice baths if we can just actually have a better qualification of the movements that we're doing during our training session we're going to need or we're going to need less the hot yoga session after whatever the recovery modality du jour is so you know preparation really from a strength coach perspective and a, and a strength sport athlete perspective has really been the best recovery tool that i've used in my career uh, and with my background i've been exposed to just about everything by now um so yeah that's really kind of been our our um our hallmark service or product that we've been trying to get off the ground for about four years. So now it's finally viable and up and we have it scaled to hopefully a price that's, that's um, attainable for everyone. Cause really what we focus on is improving function of shoulders, hips and spine. Um, you know, given specific tasks, whether you're a, a weightlifter, whether you're a, a, pow a power lifter, whether you're a football player, whether you're a rugby player, track athlete, 
uh, obstacle course racer, everyone still has shoulders, hips, and spines, and there's and there's reset defaults of function that you need to be able to get back into before you go and contort and twist and throw and pull these shoulders, hips, and spines to actually create um, to create movement in sport. So we we took a very specific approach to each one of those regions, and we kind of lay out our weeks and our programming uh, to to highlight those three regions in particular. That's truly fascinating. One particular area that that I'm well, I'm fascinated by purely based upon my sporting background in rugby um, is obviously the hips and shoulders. Um, <laughs> hips more so uh, in terms of the the, the balance aspects when we're looking at scrummaging, uh, and also obviously shoulders when we're looking at tackling. Um, so I'm obviously looking at the impacts uh, and obviously. The, the processes that come into that. One thing that you brought up recently um, on one of your Instagram posts was about the squat, uh, and more specifically about the foot position. Uh, I, I wanted to just elaborate a bit more on that because I know you went into a lot of depth about the post, which I will share in a link so people can actually see it. But in terms of the recovery aspects, what what does the program offer differently than you would do, say, for instance, just a generalized uh, cool-down process that you'd generally follow? Just just give us a bit of a difference between those two because they are very, very different. Yeah, so, I mean, our, our product is meant to be used with integration of your actual warm-up itself, right? It's not – recovery is always seemed as a as – a, uh, it's an ex post facto kind of uh, modality where it's done after the fact. So we sort of have this paradoxical way of thinking where recovery actually starts going into the session, right? So, you know, in the post, we talked about foot position and the, the, the idea with foot position in a squat is you want to be able to create the greatest amount of torque at the hip when you're in the most unstable position of the squat in the hole, right? If you don't have your foot position, right, you're going to put undue stress at the knee and actually create torque at the knee rather than generating torque from the the hip so you know it's really hard to calculate as a strength coach or as an athlete what kind of recovery you know um, a soft tissue like a meniscus or an acl the knee would take or how much time it would take to actually be able to regenerate and get that back to 100 percent where well, what we do is we look to improve positions through gait cycle and unilateral movement patterns because the the fundamental i mean our our program works through kind of three main pillars of mobility, stability, and strength, which is basically getting into unstable positions, being able to resist force, which I think a lot of people miss in the strength world and just in general fitness um, because everything is just put between strength and weakness. Right? Everyone, oh, if your glutes are tight, you have a weak glutes, weak core, weak rotator cuff. It's like, well, not really. Or you might, but it doesn't really matter because those are hubs of stability in our body. They need to be able to resist force. So mobility, stability, and strength. And then we use these three pillars and we look two dimensions deep at each one of these, uh, one of these pillars. So mobility, stability, and strength, shoulder, hip, and spine. And then we superimpose the two tenets of human function, which are walking and breathing. And there's a lot to that. Like there's a lot to walking and breathing. And it's not like this namaste sort of yogic way of going about it. It's very much I don't know. Like, well, where are you going about this? <laughs> yeah. Well, walking, hey, where are you going with this? <laughs> walking and breathing is very much like the, the deepest elements of our physiology, of our biochemistry, and to our 
for our intents and purposes, our biomechanics, right? So understanding how the rib cage and, and the diaphragm articulate with the pelvic floor and the central nervous system. Uh, there's, there's a lot of depth and complexity to how we've evolved to breathe and how that breath cycle affects our mechanics. Uh, and then same, obviously, with gait cycle, like we can derive a lot of positions that we can set our sights and resetting a default normal or functional state of shoulder, hip and spine through mobility, stability, strength by looking at gait cycle patterns and like seeing how well people start to perform on one leg. Because guess what? When you're walking or more importantly, when you're running, you only got one leg on the ground, right? So if you can't stand with one leg on the ground, I'm not going to squat you with two legs on the ground, right? You need to show an ability to resist force, to earn the right to exert force. So that's kind of like how our product hinges and how it differs from a lot of the competitors in the market is this is meant to walk you through a very concise warm-up strategy given the primary load for skill acquisition on the day. So let's say we're going into bench press. We go in and there's in order video, um, instructional videos laid out given time uh tempo duration load if needed uh, uh rest period if needed and you're to do these movements anywhere between three to five movements um in conjunction in accordance with your ascending warm-up sets so for the shoulder just to give someone an example the shoulders in in simplest form breaks up the four major subcomponents the thoracic spine the scapula our bias towards internal rotation and our strength and stability and external rotation right so what we do is we take for like let's say the bench press we're going to take you through a drill for each one of these components of the shoulder and then we're going to ask you to perform your first set of your first upper body exercise then we tell you to go through all four again and then you perform your second warm set. So for me, it would go in, I'd hit thoracic extension. I'd probably hit something of the serratus anterior to stabilize the scapula. I would stretch my lats as they're internal rotators and I would strengthen my posterior shoulder. Um, maybe I do external rotation or maybe I stabilize my posterior shoulder and do something with a kettlebell over my head. Then I bench the empty bar and I go through all those again. Then I bench... <laughs> 60 kilos. I go through all those again and 100 kilos. Go through all of them again. And then now my warm up has, has baton passed its way to the workout. And now I'm actually in a place where I can start to really have the rubber hit the road and start to be in better positions to exert force, i.e., I'm going to be stronger as a consequence of, of, of these as like minor adaptations. Man, there's, there's so much detail to it. And in terms of that, is, is there an, a, a selective preference for, for exercise selection for this? Or is it predetermined based upon the type of sport you play versus the type of warm-up that you'd require in terms of low intensity versus high intensity uh, or maximum outputs? Well, what's, what, where's the preference sit? Right. So the programming rolls over every week right so every week there's a new program with a different focus so some some weeks are focused on power and speed some weeks are focused on essential mobility some weeks are focused on you know uh, global positionings uh, so it, it varies in waves it's more so the specificity through our lens not knowing all the endeavors that our athletes get into our specificity is specific to the mechanics of the shoulder hips and spine because right? okay. that's going to be that that's going to be the bottleneck for most people right like yeah uh, a, a pitcher's elbow hurts because he has poor mechanics at the rib cage and shoulder 
right? So if we look to improve that, he can then go on the mound and then get more out of that shoulder and less out of that elbow, right? And you take that to the bench press, right? Someone can yeah. get elbow pain from benching. And it's like, okay, similar mechanism, right? Similar dysfunction at the shoulder. The specificity of the approach at the shoulder is what we're worried about, not necessarily gaining too much uh, unnecessary uh, complexity when you look at the the specificity of particular tasks i think that's what a lot of a lot of strength coaches get tripped up with like the actual task at hand it's like no, no no you just need to focus on making people better people first from a movement perspective and then the athletic ability then sorts itself out yeah well once you move better then you start to perform better it's 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 a common common theme but a lot of people as you say a lot of coaches they're they're so they're so oh they've got so much information at their disposal right now that they're just overcomplicating things. And for, for me, especially I've just seen so many of these excitable characters coming into the industry. They've got so much information that they've learned from different sources, but then they're just trying to flood all their clients with all of it. And then they're just moving away from completely the task at hand, which is hey, let's get this person mobile to then to be able to perform an action correctly to then to promote a positive outcome. So that's it's very very important. It's it, it, it's common sense, if anything. It is. Um, it is. <laughs> in terms of the, the the set methods, then, what what do you personally follow outside of that? Is there anything that you, you're specifically aiming things for yourself right now that are really that's a really core focus? I know you obviously uh, it, uh, things right now are very difficult. Um, we've obviously seen in Australia. I've been speaking to a lot of uh, friends of mine over there. And um, I actually spent four years in Sydney, so um, I know the area very well. Um, so it's uh, it's quite interesting when you said you were over there. I was like, what's he doing over there? <laughs> um, but I was talking to a friend of mine, Mr. Cole Goodman, who's at uh, Athletes Authority. And um, he was saying how the transition now in terms of New South Wales is still on lockdown. But people over in ACT, WA in Queensland... Uh, are being able to slowly return to some sort of normality. Well, what's it like? What? Just give us a bit of a, uh, an overview of the vibe there. In uh, you're in Bondi, is that is that right? Yeah, yeah. It's um, <laughs> it's it's good, man. I mean, Bondi is, as you probably know, an interesting little microcosm, right? Like. <laughs> you know, people are a little bit gutted that they can't sit in cafes all day. But other than that, I'm, I mean, from my own training, I, I have access to a, a really nice facility. Actually, uh, the facility is closed. The owner wanted to make sure that I gave that disclaimer. Um, but I've been able, I've been able to keep up with my training. But uh, yeah, you know what? I think you know, to be totally off off the training topic, like I think Australia has done a really good job in containing and reporting actual cases of of the disease and and as such um they've been able to reap the benefit of it man like things are opening up uh new south wales looks like in the next couple of weeks 15th of june it'll be back to somewhat a relative normal quicker and safer than i think anywhere else in the world at least in this in the established you know first world anyways with you know, 22 million people to have under 100 deaths in the main wave of it they, they've done a really good job yeah, no, it's 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 interesting to to see that, and especially with with obviously well the hubs in in Sydney in terms of the, the coffee spots, Double Bay, Bondi, Rose Bay, you know, you name it, you know, all the good places. They're they're obviously taking a massive hit, and um, and also across the North Shore as well. So it's it's wherever you are really within within any country really. Um, I myself over 
back over here in the in the other side of the pond in the UK. So um, we we seem to be doing things relatively relaxed to a certain extent. Um, but you've just got to you've just got to make the best of a, of a bad situation. So it's obviously good that things are are maintaining some sort of equilibrium, which is good. Um, in, in let's 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 go let's go to your to your uh, coaching side of things a bit more. Um, I'm, I'm really excited to see what the next sort of three to six months hold for you because so many things right now I can just I can see things brewing and they feel like they're just going to get better and better and it's something that for me as uh, as an avid listener and avid well follower of your journey um, it'd be nice to sort of give us a, what, what does the next twelve months look like for you because you've done so much in such a short space of time. Um, I wanted to throw this question at you. I know, obviously, it was a bit preemptuous, <laughs> but yeah, what, what's what's it looking like? Let's 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 look forward. Uh, yeah, uh, that's dude, that's a great question. Uh, especially now, uh, there's just plans and contingency plans, and those contingency plans have contingency plans, and those contingency plans that have contingency plans have contingency plans. Uh, <laughs> just the the uncertainty, man. Like, I mean, I was a I left my house in California two years ago and I have not stopped traveling until the government told me I had to. So I, I don't technically have a home. Um, so I, I travel now with my girlfriend and, and she's a physio and, and she, she teaches alongside with me when I teach. Um, so we teach together, which has been great and luckily got to see a lot of the world um, before it shut down. Uh, and we never thought we, you know, we joked, man, like, it was probably I probably jinxed it actually because we you know with the divide in the fitness industry a lot of people work in the online space but you know I really enjoyed showing up for three days 10 hours a day plus training getting face-to-face and hands-on with coaches or athletes and just really going into like an intensive uh, and we always joke like man you know they're going to switch an algorithm on Instagram and all the internet guys are going to be screwed but they'll never shut the world down it's like fucking eat my words (laughs) Uh, um, but yeah so we, we we were lucky in the sense man like we hedged our bets um August of last year, I started teaching the level one course that I developed online, uh, which is kind of our core principles of coaching uh, program that I put together over the past couple of years. So right now, it's just kind of been all in with that. And, and luckily for us, we were rolling into a new semester as everything sort of shut down. So we had a lot of coaches with a lot more free time on their hands and who were uncertain of the you know the landscape moving forward but we're certain that upskilling was likely going to be their solution um so next in the next year we plan on so i have a book in drafts at the moment that i'm looking to get published so i've been with a publisher now for since january december january last year uh, so we're just uh we're just trying to put the finishing touches on that um, which will basically be my brain, hopefully, in a book, and then she'll make it make somewhat sense. Um, <laughs> so that's going to be one. We have um, uh, plan on a headquarters in Toronto, Ontario, at some point okay. in the next year. Uh, once I can get back to Toronto, having a facility where we can teach uh, more intensive courses, longer duration, five-day courses, um, things like that. And then honestly, man, uh, with understanding that the landscape has changed for 
for better or for worse, definitely for always. Um, so having a place where we can start to create more interactive uh, course material in the online space. And then with that will come the development of a personal training competency base level exam that will be accredited um, internationally. So we're going to look to kind of take hold of the supply chain of personal training education uh, first and then uh, build up from our level. So we'll have a PT certification, uh, our level one certification. And then I'm currently developing our, our level two high performance mentorship program, um, which will come off the back end and be more geared towards strength and performance coaching uh, specifically because I really think like you know the and this is just projections and you kick the ball around on this but you know the, of the day of the the personal trainer big box gym like with 24-hour fitness and gold's gym in the United States filing chapter 11 you know the team the, the the sports people who aren't worried about it are you know the the pro, pro athletes like that money will still be there so I think there's really going to be an emerging market of really high quality performance coaches with a solid background uh, in clinical theory that need to wear a lot of hats. So that's where we're going to start to shape the Prescript education platform and then continue to grow with the RX programming. We're looking at a handful of athletes now that we're going to take on on sponsorship and be able to come into, come into Toronto and, and work with them in a clinical setting and then start to develop um, strategies that we use with them that we can share with that we can share with everyone through the community with the app so a lot of irons a lot of fires a lot of fingers a lot of pies all that shit but should should keep me pretty busy i think for the next 12 months uh, I, th I think it will i think the whole the whole journey itself is, is only just really getting started and i think if anything the lockdown has really helped people be able to build those plans a lot better um, in terms of simplification as well, because they're able to actually look at the finer details and say, well, hold on a minute, we can actually see that it's tried and tested and they don't have the other external factors in the background that are obviously limiting them from actually following it. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how the, the pieces of the puzzle sort of formulate together. It's interesting that you talk about Canada. We haven't heard a lot about Canada in, in the news, um, but quite a few of them, I've spoken to a few people over there um, a couple of people involved with the, within the pro sports and um, they're, they're actually sharing some really positive light um, which is great to see that they're, they're in a process of starting to, to reintroduce teams um, to training which is great and um, it, it's going to be different as, as most countries are going to experience as well. Um, one area that you really picked on there was the emergence of um, high performance coaches it's going to be a very different time. Um, and um, what, what changes have you really seen over the last sort of six months in particular that sort of prompted you to, to come out with that? Because I think it's in, there must be a, there's obviously a reason behind most things in life. Um, you yourself have been in the industry a long time, so you obviously know what's happening where. But from I'll come back to that question just a little bit, but from my perspective uh, in the UK, I find that there's a lot of, Coaches coming into the industry trying to give themselves jobs, but off the back of qualifying uh, through educational means. But from my perspective, I've come through the practical elements of playing rugby and playing multiple disciplines since I was seven years old. So 23 years of experience playing sport, as well as obviously the experiences both locally and globally, um, I've been able to see both sides of the coin. Whereas now what you're finding is that coaches are coming in one-dimensional. 
There's not there's not that that transferability. So so my question really, how do you think that these coaches will start emerging through the market and being adaptable across those disciplines? Yeah, it's tough because you can't buy experience, and that's something that I tell no, every coach that comes comes through the door, man. Like. You know, I, I I was lucky to to go to school in a place that allowed me to gain some some uh, some very unique real world experiences, and, and you know I I lived out of my car to be able to actually work with the people I work with and work at the places I worked at in a in a in a very unforgiving financial market. Like I lived south of San Francisco about an hour. Um, I was a strength and conditioning coach at Stanford University for the rugby team. Uh, I got to run two clinical practices outside of very sought-after training facilities, um, one predominating in the in the strength sports. We got to deal with, not only deal with, like get to train with, uh, you know, there'd be a Friday night where I would go in and deadlift and there'd be six of us training and I'd be the only one without multiple world records in my weight class. So it's just, you know, and I was, you just get to see things as you get to see things in real time on a pitch. Like that's that that's an intangible. And I think a lot of people right now, they like the, they like the, the facade or the outward facing persona of the glamour that comes with working at that level, but they don't necessarily aren't willing for the sacrifice. So they, they'll pay to have more letters after their name that no one cares about. But, you know, when you're in a room with like an athlete at the end of the day, and I think that's where a large part of the market is going that and geriatrics, but that's another conversation to be had. Um, <laughs> that an athlete can always can always tell, right? Like, you know, like when you were playing, when you were playing rugby, man, like you could tell when a strength coach wasn't being straight with you, but he was just telling you to do stuff because that's what someone told him uh, to tell you. Nine times do, out right? of 10, I walked out of the gym. <laughs> right? <laughs> It so, just got to a point where it was like, yeah, that some of the things when when I hear it back then versus now, they're so so different, so so different, aren't they? And sorry, you, yeah, yeah, you were saying. No, it's just you know the the consumer is getting smarter. Even the consumer of the professional athlete whose job is not to know the like strength conditioning. I got, uh, I'm working with a kid right now in the NFL who's got a CSDS just because he wanted to be a better athlete. Right. And not that the CSDS is like the be all end all, but like, mm. you know, we sit down for an hour every week and we review his program and he sends me videos every day and I, I, I go through and, and I give him some feedback and, and he's, he's taken the onus on himself. Like, look, man, I'm 23 years old. I'm up for, uh, I'm up for a one year contract right now. I'll sign a big boy contract after this. If I split the uprights, he knows the investment that's at stake. Like they're not dumb anymore. So it's like the days of the snake oil salesman strength coach, you know, facade, I think is over. Like you can't play these games anymore. The landscape is too saturated with good information. I think, you know, the, it's the deciphering the good from the bad can be tough between the jump cuts and the 4k cameras but i really think that the average intelligence the consumer is really pushing the envelope forward and people are going to be in a rough place if they think that they can just you know have their seat at the table with a couple of initials after their name that's interesting you say that very interesting because there's a, there are a lot of people that are well renowned in the industry that don't have those um those letters after their name and it's and it's really it's it's really exciting, but because you go to these people because of those uh, those valuable experiences that they've lived, that they've breathed, that they've seen. Um, I myself, 
I'm a, I'm a big admirer of Ben Pakulski. Completely irrelevant to my sport. Completely irrelevant. But the ideologies and everything that he brings to the table, it, it, it encapsulates you. The journey behind bodybuilding, the sciences behind it, the, the, the scientific elements that go into looking at the human body, taking it in its primal form, and then elevating it to a whole new level using science, fascinates me. Uh, and the, the ability that he was able to do that uh, and maintain it so consistently, it, it's just, the, it, it's amazing. I could never do it because I have a heart condition and I know that the stress is placed on that. I, my body wouldn't cope. It just wouldn't. But people like that just, they, they'll inspire you in a way that, although it may not be in the area that you specifically work in or you are associated with, they bring something unique to your life that you won't ever get from anywhere else. And in terms of other inspirations, obviously I follow you, I follow Ben Pekulski, I follow Vern Gambetta, he's another one, um, Hunter Chaninsky, Les Spellman. Um, but these, all, these, these for me are, are inspirations in terms of my life and my development. Who for you has been a major impact uh, in really helping you grow? Because... You've brought so many different elements from so many different areas, and it's just like, boom, here he is. Like, where where where's it come from? <laughs> yeah, it's a good. That's a great question, man. Like, and I think you know what? This is the one thing I think academia has done for me. Like, there's a lot of what I use is from experience, right? But I think the one thing of going through the the rigor of you know eight nine years of school is. There's not a, and I started my my formal education, in history and political science. There's there's not a paper that I write or have written that doesn't have, you know, two or three pages of work cited, right? Like I need to go into the research and I need to pay homage to those people that have laid the foundation for this method of thinking or this this particular system. Like, um, whether it's APA Chicago style or or AMA, like however you need to cite. So uh, it's something that I take really seriously in paying it back and trying to pay it forward. And I think to your point, like, and you, you rattle off the, the inspirations behind, you know, where you're at personal and professional development. I think there's something to be said from a strength coach perspective about taking a history lesson. Like I, mm. so one of my favorite, one of my favorite books is, is a book called American Prometheus. It's the, it's the biography of Robert Oppenheimer. So Oppenheimer was the guy that made the atomic bomb, right? So he's a really yeah. interesting dude, really smart. Um, and he started off his education in, I think he started it off in math. He was in math and he wanted to move to uh, uh, physics or chemistry. And in the summer leading in from his undergrad into, into graduate studies, master's and PhD, he wanted to switch programs, but really competitive. I think he went to Cal Berkeley, right, which at the time was like the school to get into. And he only had really good grades in a non, a, not a directly correlated discipline, but he like brilliant. So he read every single textbook he could get his hands on and like the most advanced textbooks, like far beyond postdoc level, level readings. And he came in to the professor and was like, look, I've read all these books. These are my grades in math. I want to I switch into physics. 
And the, the professor goes, just because you know, like, I'll let you in just because you even know these books exist, right? Because he's gone so deep into the archives of that discipline that he'd clearly shown skin in the game to even know what the books are. The guy didn't even care if he read them or not. He's like, look, you just even know who these, where these books are. Like, we're about to walk PhDs across <laughs> the stage that don't know what these books are. So, but I think, I think in strength and conditioning, man, like, we get so scarce that we're, we, we don't want to pay it back or pay it forward right like if if i if i talk to someone like oh yeah like i'm a strength conditioning coach like oh yeah who's charles poliquin and i'll sit and i'll wait (laughs) and if you can't tell me who charles is like you know may he rest in peace yeah the originator mate yeah yeah his big inspiration like for me that was like i remember reading an article at 15 years old because he would do, he did stuff in the UK with Nick Mitchell and Ben Sapolsky yeah. out of out of Mayfair in London and with Ultimate Performance, um, and those are two people that I've got to know quite well and have tremendous amounts of respect for. And I unfortunately yeah. never met Charles, but I read an article when I was fifteen that Charles wrote about front squatting, wow. and to this day, man, I've been front squatting for fifteen years and I haven't front squatted more than six reps because the article was basically look, look, your upper back is going to fail before your quads if you load it too light and you load to a high volume. Don't do it. This is fucking brilliant. This is so simple. But it, and then I just I started going down the the Charles Poliquin rabbit hole quite early. And I was like, I don't know what he does, but I want to do this. That's what I want to do. I want to do be him, right? And 230 Olympic podiums, like you know, it's it's not about what you know, it's about what you can prove. So like for me, and I and I'll get to the list of names. He is I put him at at a really on a high pedestal because of the impact he had on me so early. But proof of concept that I think most people getting into this into this game need a need a real history lesson. Like if you don't know who Buddy Morris is, if you don't know who Charlie Francis is, then you don't know strength and conditioning. Like you you don't you don't know like you know yeah you might know like who like some fame you know larry williams is nothing against larry he's a great great lifter but that's not strength and conditioning instagram lifting and powerlifting and all that is not strength and conditioning right so you got to kind of know like who are the greats and, and pay homage that way uh so for me to answer your question a bit more directly charles was the first out of the gate um he was probably had from a let's go top five let's go top five <laughs> okay yeah uh uh so charles ben yeah Ben Mikulski okay. for sure. Um, my friend Luke Bernaches, my first training partner. Um, okay. Oh, this is tough. I don't want to miss him. Uh, Dan Green. Okay. Uh, he's an American powerlifter. And who's really impacted my thought process? In the, last, in the last six months, who's really impacted it? Let's pick one from the last six months. Because I think it's very important to, 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 to honor that. Because I've, I've only picked up certain people's journeys within the last six months but they've had such a massive impact. Probably Pat Davidson. I would say the way I think it, and just in the avenues that he, I remember I sat in on a power hour in New York when I was there late last year and he started talking about things in a way that I, I'd never conceptualized before and overlapped. It's like, you're looking at the six and the nine from two different perspectives and we're both trying to have an argument as to what we're looking at. So I would say he's probably been the most pivotal in the last six months. It's really interesting. My, my top five. Uh, I was thinking about this the other day. Actually, I had a I had a massive long list. <laughs> um, my 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 biggest inspiration um, right now is Ben. Okay, um, I think the mi mi forty and muscle intelligence and the people that he talks to and the way that he talks and the the reasoning behind one of the things actually he was talking about um, was blue light. 
the effects of blue light on your eyes. I bought a pair of blue light blocking um, glasses. Amazing, best thing I've ever bought. And um, I think that it's very, very interesting that um, that he's he's doing so well in obviously looking at that and expanding obviously on that moving forward. So that's great. So he would be the top one for me. Um, my second would be... <laughs> Uh, Matt Jordan, Jordan Strength. Um, okay. Matt Jordan was um, on a podcast with Hammer Media with Vern Gambetta as well. Um, so he he's uh, for me uh, he's is a lot of people wouldn't know who he is, but but he just there's certain elements of his work that, that really I, I can relate to. So that's that's one. Um, the rugby strength coach. Care, amazing, love him. I think he's got so many um, exciting things in the, in the works as well. Um, and with the, the Strength Coach Network, brilliant thing to, for, for people to sign up to in terms of rugby, specifically. Les Spellman, sprint, he, he, him in my eyes, he's just, he's just the go-to sprint guy. Uh, and then another one as well, uh, my final one, is, uh, is actually someone that I've recently come into contact with. His name's Adam Menner. He is the director of operations at Varsity House Gym in uh, New York, New Jersey. And uh, his ideologies and the way that he talks about his coaching strategies. Uh, and he's built a network uh, as, uh, along with his uh, co-founder and co-director of Varsity House Gym, uh, Dan Goodman. Uh, they run a thing called Business of Strength. Uh, and actually teaches coaches how to to break down the processes in terms of engagement with your communities um, within a bricks and mortar facility. Um, so these guys have been inspirational to me because I've able to build a good network from that. So for me, they would just be five people that that I would really talk about. Um, but I think, yeah, it's like anything. How, how long's the list? How long's a piece of string? Who knows? Right. We've got right. so many different in, inspirations, so many different people out there to to talk to uh, and gather stories uh, and I think that's why um, the strength connection podcast is about knowing why people have done certain things uh, and obviously exploring their journeys and the people that, that really help make them tick um, whether it be you're a power lifter whether it be you're a uh, an athlete in a discipline whether or not you're a sports scientist um, there's so many different episodes um, but that's that's something else um, there's there's my little piece for that. Um, <laughs> in terms of the the next sort of uh, six months, um, I want I want to sort of delve into three pieces of advice that you would give to aspiring coaches looking to get into the industry. It is a tough time. Uh, this is a long question, and the reason why I say that is that the three pieces of advice. Um, I don't know. Run with it. What, what three key pieces of advice would you give? Um, work for free. Okay. That's it. <laughs> uh, work for free. It's not, that's not it as far as all three. I, I think a lot of people... <laughs> there, there's can, all three. There you go. <laughs> what, if I had to think back on what... I, I think I have all three, but the first is like work, be willing to work for free. Right? Like be, willing, be willing to work for free because someone else who wants it more will. Right? And like you're not going to get rich again. You might have to sleep in your car. 
but you'll be rich with experience, right? And I think that's going to be the currency that we start to trade in and that we start to value people in the profession and is what experience do you have? And anyone who's gone through the rigor of, you know, getting internships in the field, like I'm kind of lucky in the sense that I use my clinical background uh, and my personal network of patients to be able to get the job that I got, right? I didn't have to go through the internship process of like, you know, working for free, but I think people come out and they get their credentials or they come out and they have their, their career accolades and they want to get into strength conditioning and they feel like it's owed to them. It's like, take a fucking number, man. Like everyone wants that gig. And at the end of the day, you know, you, <laughs> how many you, people you, are you there? Yeah. <laughs> right. And what's your job, man? Like you, you take shit from the player coaches, you know, you, you, for me at the collegiate level, like you're dealing with 17, 18 year old kids who got at Stanford university have way more stressful things on their plate that, than, you know, Hey, we're doing like clean pulls with the trap bar today. It's like, yeah, my professor is like the secretary of state of the U S government. I'll give a fuck about your clean pulls. So I think <laughs> being able to work for free, um, it, it'll keep you, It'll keep you, it'll prove to yourself that this is what you want to do because it'll always feel to a certain degree. You never stop working for free. When you start to charge money and make what money there is to be made in the industry, you should never get away from that. When you make money, it should be to allow you the freedom to start to work for free in places where people can't really afford it. And I think if you're not willing to do that and you're in it for the paycheck, then that'll sort you out and put you in a position where you might want to consider another career. So that's my first piece of advice is be willing and, and eager to work for free. You know, and the second one is get out of your own way. Uh, this was advice was given to me by a friend of mine named Craig Caperso in my probably about two thirds of my way through grad school. He, he kind of told me that he was a bodybuilder heavy into the fitness industry wrote for bodybuilding.com and had a six figure supplement contract and was competing multiple times a year and had his own fitness brand on the back of that. And as you kind of cross pollinate, you know, the, the on field in the weight room and also on the internet, um, you know, business model where you kind of have to have all three kind of cranking at the same time. Um, most of the, like the, some of the smartest guys and girls I know are really hesitant because they're so smart. They know there's so much to know. They peeked over the horizon and realized that, it, that it's such a vast landscape. And then they start to, they start to recoil and, and, and start to get a little bit timid in putting out good information, right? Because they, they understand the nuance and the context that goes into it. So like the best advice I was probably, one of the best pieces of advice I was ever given was from him. And he just said, get out of your own way. Like I used to stay up for three nights in a row when like a YouTube video would go up. Cause I'm like, Oh no, like what if someone mean on the internet says something bad about this video I did about the shoulder? It's like, I can't defend myself. So I need to stay up round the clock hitting refresh on the YouTube video to see if a mean person <laughs> left a comment. But then you start to realize. How many days like, that way? <laughs> ah, man, it was probably like at least three days. I would, I got joked, but I probably woke up in the middle of the night a handful of times for three days straight and just refreshed the really? video. And it's, and yeah, it was stressful, man. Like, cause when you have a conversation, you can explain yourself, but there's no conversation to be had unless you're diligently watching the comment section. And when someone says something, you just, <laughs> Get in Keep there, warrior, straight um, in there. <laughs> right, and and that's the biggest thing, right? Like, I think in order to really 
be able to bulletproof your thought process, you got to step out in the open plane. Like you got to see if it holds water. Like you got to, you got to step up and step out and see like, if, if what you think is true, like put it on the internet. Cause if it's not true or incorrect, someone's going to tell you, I had a call this morning actually with someone in the industry that I don't necessarily see eye to eye with, but he's become a very valuable asset to me, even as someone who's someone who's somewhat of a rival and, and for a long time an enemy, but he isn't, he is very smart. <laughs> an enemy. When we hit that stop recording button, I'll tell you who it is. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> in the past in the past month or so this is a guy who's not liked the stance i've taken on things uh and for for certain social reasons and things like that doesn't like necessarily me um and you know was voicing his opinions on a social platform and i was like all right well the world is shut down so i can't knock on this guy's door but i'll give him a call so i called called him i was like look man like i understand you have a problem with me never met you in my life you don't know what i teach let's talk uh, and was able to hopefully prove my my worthiness to him and uh, and i say that jokingly as we've kind of struck up a weird friendship since but you know i sat here this morning with a whiteboard and was explaining my stance on you know horizontal force vectors in the pendulum squat and how we can't yep. you know falsely uh uh create a false equivalency between moments at the knee and force at the quad and so i was sitting there doing rise over run equations with work and force and, and you know standardizing units of work to be able to prove my point um mm. so you know i now i know that like and i was it was it was plaguing me the last couple of days because i put up a post on social media and i'm to the point I, I you know social media is such a part of the business machine now that i don't yeah. think about it the same way i used to right like i don't think like this is probably the first time since that first youtube video i put up that i was like on edge because it's mm -hmm. like this guy who's incredibly smart sent me a message like well i don't really understand what you're saying here so like i literally went into the gym that i was training at i sat next to this pendulum squat with a measuring tape and a whiteboard and i was like okay what am i saying because a lot of times you just know some things to be true because you just it's intrinsic and you've done it like through your experience like fuck man 27 years like you've been at this a long time you almost don't yeah. even know that you didn't even realize that it needs explaining right so for this guy to hold my feet to the fire that's like took me back like 10 years when i just started doing this shit and i was worried about those youtube videos so and for the past few days it's been like you know i've been a little on edge because that's all i'm thinking about is like work and force equations um, but it's that's inherently valuable get out of your own way it's oh like it's okay to make a mistake but some people are just too afraid they never know and they just stay reclusive right and they hide it behind like oh like i don't want to speak in absolutes or like you know it's too late in this like it's social media is too saturated I'm like there's there's a lot Look, of people, social like, media many yeah so, so social media is is saturated okay I, I'm, I'm gonna touch on this i know obviously there's one more point that, it, that you'll delve into but there is so much saturation within the industry there is without a doubt if anything there's i, I was having a chat with someone the other day in um uh, they're, they're in the they're in the uh, up north somewhere, um, and we were talking about um, all these rugby coaches coming out of um, out of the woodwork that are promoting um, health and fitness and core stability and all this sort of stuff. And it, it I just literally sat there and I ridiculed it in my head. I, I didn't publicly like say anything because I was like, you know what? <clears throat> Leave them to it. They're not. They'll stay in their lane. They'll do what they're doing. I'm doing what I'm doing. They pay no relevance to me. There's no, there's no, there's no association. Okay, I might be better at them in doing what I'm doing versus 
what they're teaching, but it pays no relevance. But one thing that, that really stood out to me is that because if something, if I posted something, okay, that was rugby related and they criticised me on it, I would be able to then turn around and say to them, do you know what? I've actually played that sport. I know what you're talking, I know why I posted that video. Whereas if they posted a video on strength and conditioning, I could tear it apart. But I wouldn't because I've got like, uh, do, do you know what I mean? There's a, there's a lot of things out there and I can, I can see why you got into a bit of an argument or a bit of a dispute with this person. But, from that, I know it sounds really weird, you can build the strangest of friendships and the strangest of industry networks by people that don't like your work because then you're able to then educate them to then they're able to educate you. So you can then see your, your, your imperfections. Really weird, isn't it? Yeah. It's the most <laughs> valuable thing in the world. Because it's like, you know, people that follow you, you, you self-select almost like a, you self-select in a way like an organism would start to replicate and express a certain genetic trait, right? You start yeah, to exactly. self-select your audience. Like, oh man, you should definitely follow this guy. And the next thing you know, like, <laughs> you know what most of my posts are now when people tag people? It's like, hey, this guy looks just like you. And they tag another <laughs> guy. Like, bald fade. Who else? Bald Who else has been tagged? So it's like I literally have like a following of guys that look just like me and think just like me. And like, it's great and it's awesome. And when I Who is it? The you know, hypertrophy coach. Together, Joe. Uh, Joe Bennett, yeah. <laughs> I think I had the hair first. And the beard, beard <laughs> We're going to put um, that to a poll on social media. Who, who looks better, Jordan <laughs> or Joe? <laughs> uh, but yeah, so like that, that for me is, um, it, it's valuable to have those, as you said, like those unique and interesting, weird little friendships. Um, but to the last point, it's some money's not worth making. Okay. Uh, and I think that's something from a values perspective as you know, you, if you put enough elbow grease behind this, like you can, you can make something of it. I think anyways, like I, I don't have any particular skill set that sets me apart. I'm not a, you know, incredibly intelligent. I didn't come from, you know, a, a savvy background or anything like that. I didn't come from a great neighborhood or just like, you just fucking work your bag off until something happens. And then that means you just got to work that much harder. Um, but I think sticking to your guns from a, a morals and ethics standpoint, um, and there's a certain gut feeling you get when, you know, you, whether it's, you know, approaching a, a job interview and you're unsure or, um, you know, for me, like in associating with people uh, around different brand values or doing content or recording podcasts with people that, you know, I just don't like their message or, or they don't just click with them as a person. Mm. I just scrap it. So I, I've been able to, you know, follow that rather than following like, you know, any sort of monetary gain and, and, you know, whatever you leave on the table, uh, it's worth it. And that was advice that was given to me from a close friend of mine really, really early. So that was uh, my buddy, Dan, uh, kind of sent that to me. And he, to anyone who knows him, is kind of of like the highest ethical standard. So um, that was one. I think a third piece of advice would be some money's not worth making. Uh, and I think in, you know, with scarce resources in, in the world of strength and conditioning, I think a lot of people are out for the throat and they're out to get what's theirs or what they think is theirs. But at the end of the day, it's a long game. Like I'm going to be doing this. Um, I'm going to be doing this when I'm really old. Like my, my buddy, uh, Corey Schlesinger is the strength coach for the Phoenix Suns did a, did a mm. little Q and a with buddy Morris, uh, the other day and I was watching it this morning and buddy's 63 
63, still got like 17 inch arms with the bicep vein. He's oh, out there man. in Arizona with the NFL team. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's to me that's is the it, dream. man. Like that's the dream. Right. And, <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's like, it takes, and I, I don't, I don't think like that's the dream for everyone. Right. And, but no. you got to find out again and you'll, you'll self-select yourself out of this career pretty quickly. If you start to make decisions based off money, right? Like everyone I know, every strength coach I know it's for some reason has, you just have to live in your fucking car at some point to yes. be able to make this work yes. because yeah, that now it's like, I mean, man, there's, there's, there's guys in NCAA and in the show that strength coach million dollars because you're fucking serious mm. strength coach, make a million dollars. Um, but yeah, it's uh, so that'd be my last piece of advice, man. If some money's not worth making, no, I'm 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 a firm believer that 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 third point really escalates to stick to what you're passionate about, because your passion shines through. The money comes secondary with anything. If someone can see that you can deliver the right things in the right way and you're passionate about it, then the rest takes care of itself. Because you've taken the time to educate yourself, to learn about it, to understand it, it's been ingrained into you when you're young. And you want to obviously follow that that direction. Um, and, it, and it leads back into to so many other different areas in terms of professional development, um, training literacy, uh, all these other areas. Uh, and, and one thing as well that you said there as well, um, being a valued coach. Um, I recently wrote a blog about that. Um, it's on the website, uh, and it's knowing what valued coaches can do and can do well. Um, so just some small points, I think, that I've learned and and seen over my years of coaching. And, um, and it's exciting as well because I've never really been one to express my thoughts. It's been stuck up here. And and it's it's one of those weird things because you feel that you need to hold back all this information because you want to then start putting a number, putting a figure to it. No, get rid of it. So I was like, do you know what? 100 hours worth of content, boom, have it. There you go. But I, I realized I can relate to that as well, is that it's better to do something for free because the return in terms of the value that you can give towards someone and knowing that it's being valued by the people is so, so much more. Um, and I think that that's something that, that coaches – um, like Buddy have done so, so well over the years. And for me to get to the NFL from the UK, that would be, that would be a dream come true. Um, I've been a 49ers fan since I was five years old. So uh, I'd definitely love to, to work with someone like Kyle Shanahan, I'll tell you that much. Um, yeah, well, but, uh, you, you make your way over there. <laughs> and I'll, I'll text Ben Peterson and I'll make sure you get behind the walls. Mate, I hope so. I, I would love to. I'd love to. Um, Next level, man. La Look, that would be amazing. We'll talk about that off, off here. But um, last but not least, one final question. What do you see um, for yourself on the horizon in terms of short term? Anything that you're looking towards in terms of a personal aspect that you think that um, is really important to you over the next sort of, well, the next sort of few weeks, really? Is there anything that you're really um, embracing for yourself? Yeah, it's getting the, getting the book finished, man. Like, I think that for me is the best way to kind of pay it back is to pay it forward. Right. So like I, yeah. the people that have had an influence on my career, I'll never be able to pay back in kind to what they've been able to do for me, whether it's, you know, 
Ben letting me live at his house for three months. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> down <laughs> right. in Tampa or up in Toronto? <laughs> yeah. no, down, in, down in Tampa, man. Like I, I, Again, I, I wasn't lying when I packed up all my stuff and I said I didn't have a home. So when we did courses Jeez. together last year and we taught, I, I lived in Tampa Bay for months on end and his daughter was so kind to sleep in another room. So I had a place to lay my Even head. kicked her out. Oh, Jesus. Terrible. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Poor fool. she's great she's just she's a chip off the old block she's she's got a heart of gold just like her old man but you know i won't be able to pay him back there's no way in hell there's not there's not a blank check in the world that can pay back what that guy's done for me so uh for me it's going to be the book and and entering into kind of the the corpus or the body of work that strength and conditioning has continued to build upon and and hopefully be able to bring you know some experience and some science and some creativity into the field or, or contribute what's already there so that for me is like from a like it's weird to be 29 years old and think about like legacy in a field but that for me will be hopefully one of many books to come that will um just be able to highlight a thought process that's got me to where I am, wherever that is, and whether it's a place worth going, we'll leave that up for other people to decide. Uh, <laughs> but that's, that's my biggest. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be my biggest goal, man. Is just getting the book um, closer to the finish line. That's amazing. Well, look, it's been absolutely fantastic talking to you today. Um, I, I really hope that that things uh, turn around even more so than ever. Um, being where you are right now, you're in Australia, you're in a great setting. You've got obviously a very big network behind you uh, and also with the support of your girlfriend as well. Um, it's definitely making things a lot easier in terms of transitioning, which is awesome. Um, and yeah, let's let's see what the future holds and uh, hopefully we'll, 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 see, sir, we'll see some uh, amazing things as, as per usual in, in the coming weeks. Thanks, man. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hopefully getting over to the UK before year's end and doing this face-to-face. Oh, man, I'd love that more than anything. Cheers, man. Cheers, man.